Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Dental Practice Heroes podcast. I am your host, Dr. Paul Etchison. I got a real cool episode today. I got a guy on. We're talking about going down less, less clinical days. And as you know, my book coming out, that's kind of the premise of the book. But this goes a little bit deeper than that. We talk about the why of doing it and a little bit about the mechanics of doing it and creating what kind of culture do we need to have at the practice? How do we tell this story to the team? How do we explain this to patients? Because life's too short, man. I mean, we got to realize that we're working for a reason and our life should not always be about work. And I am very guilty in that sense that it took me a long time to realize that. But this is just a great episode. If you're ever thinking about cutting days or you're just looking for more quality of life, this is somebody who has done it. He's going to share his experience. He's going to share his challenges and a little bit about how it actually happened. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. The Dental Practice Heroes Podcast. Business, communication, leadership, practice, and life success. It all starts with a hero. It all starts with you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Dental Practice Heroes Podcast, where we believe that armed with knowledge and intentionality, anyone can become the hero that their practice needs and deserves. I'd like to welcome my guest. He's a 2013 graduate of Nova Southeastern and owner of First Care Dental in Tallahassee, Florida. Please welcome to the podcast, Dr. Jordan Rigsby. What's up, Jordan? How you doing, man? Hey, man. Happy to be here. How you doing? Good, good. I'm excited to have you on because we've been communicating back and forth through email quite a bit. And and, and just to give the listeners idea, like me and Jordan have been going back about like book recommendations and, and spiritual ideas and just a lot of cool stuff. We're going to talk today about reducing clinical days. But before we get into it, why don't you give the listeners just a background history of your journey from graduating dental school into practice ownership where you are now? Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, graduated dental school, Nova, 2013. Went to work in Tallahassee, had a great practice uh, under my mentor, Jeffrey Woodworth. Worked for him for a year, bought the practice in 2014. For some reason, Bank of America will give you a million and a half dollars when you're $400,000 in debt. <laughs> with, and, with nothing uh, down. With nothing, with $10,000 <laughs> in the bank account and yeah. just nothing. So bought the practice, just struggled, did the work, crushed it as hard as I could. Listened to the podcast, yours, Bulletproof, read the books, did what I had to do, worked hard for five years. Yeah, I just kept growing as much as I could. Now we've doubled in size as of last year. Physical size, we're from seven to 14 ops. And we have people too. We're up to four docs now. And at one point I was just one. So yeah, it's been a great journey. It's been awesome. So talk about when, when did you, you started working there as an associate and when did you actually acquire the practice? I started in 2013 and acquired the practice in 14. So it was about 12 months. Were you hired on as, hey, I'm looking for someone to come and associate and take this over? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. I had no intentions of buying a practice that young, but you know, he, he came and then when it, the year came that I'd been there, he's like, hey, I'm selling it. If you want it, you know, take it. I always knew I wanted my own practice because I knew what the goal was and the goal was to get down to a couple days a week, two, three days a week. So I just, I just jumped right in, man, went for it. What would you say now taking a practice, just seven ops when you, you take it over and now you're up to 14 ops. When was that expansion? Last year. We went from seven to 14 in September. Okay. Awesome. So, so you did a few years at seven. What was it like? What do you think the biggest things that you changed, you know, going in as a new owner new captain on the ship, what were some of the biggest things that you changed to make this practice your own versus how it was run previously with the previous owner? 
I just brought my energy in in the beginning. I mean, just young energy, just, you know, smiling. I'm good with people. Started planting a massive garden in Citrus Grove in the backyard. Knocked down windows, put in picture windows, bird feeders outside every window, music in every room. I didn't know where to start business-wise. I knew I would just learn that, pick it up. It was a great running business so that, I, that, I, that I bought. So that was something. I didn't start it from the beginning. So I didn't know any of that stuff. I just knew how to bring my energy Bring it strong, keep it going. And I knew how to de-stress. I knew how to prepare, whether that was exercise, physical, mental, spiritual work, drinking, whatever it took. I knew how to repair so I could get in there the next day and just bring that energy again and again and again. So to me, it wasn't so much crushing the business stuff in the beginning, which obviously, you know, I was and I was doing everything I could. I was trying to do my due diligence, but it was just doing the work those first couple of years and just bringing the energy and keeping it high. I'm always curious when somebody does an acquisition, and I want to hear what you have to say about this. How did it go as far as team members turnover during the transition? Did you get buy-in and keep everybody, or did you have to replace people and move on to the new mission? Yeah, 27 tons of debt. I wanted to hold on to everybody like they were like, you know, for dear life. But within a year, you lose pretty much everybody. I have one uh, one assistant left. She After my wife, she's my best friend. Her name's Tequila. She's the only one who's there when I bought the place and still there. Outside of that, it's just going to happen. You know, the turnover happens slow. And I didn't mind it that way. Clearing house seems aggressive to me and, and weird. Some people might be in a situation where they need to do that. But for me, they just came and went. And these past five or six years have, have been more like what you talk about, where I've, I've got my family there. Not much turnover at all. But yeah, you just when you bring a whole different energy into a practice, you can't expect everybody to get on board. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I, I wonder because you seem like you bring such good energy and you mentioned that like verbally saying, I just tried to bring energy in there. And I was wondering to see if it was going to be like, well, if somebody brings a lot of energy, can they hold on to retain people and get them to follow? But what you mentioned is the typical thing. Yeah, you can, you, I think you can, but there are people are going to take advantage of that energy too. And if you're a kind person, yeah, I don't know. If you came in as like a ball breaker with good energy, that could work, but I'm not even sure that exists. So, yeah. <laughs> Right. So now talk about when you started and you, you took over, how long did the selling doc hang on? He said he would be there for a year, but he had some pain. He had pain in his hips and he was okay. ready to go. Yeah, He was ready to get out of the swamp, as he called it. And he moved from uh, Tallahassee to Idaho probably about nine months later. He got himself a house on top of a mountain and he's living oh, nice. now. And um, yeah, he's, he's not in any pain anymore. You know, this profession just cripples people. Yeah. So yeah, he held in for about nine months. And I didn't mind. I was ready for him to go. I was ready now, to talk. Well, how many days clinical were you working when he left and, and you took over? Four. Uh, my mentor really stressed. He actually closed the practice on Wednesdays. I recommend to anybody if they have the option when they're working four days a week to take Wednesdays off. Two reasons. It's amazing. You go in two days, crush it. You got Wednesdays, middle of the week to go whatever you want to do. And none of the rest of the world is out there. And then second, all the dinners are closed on Fridays in a town like this, at least. I'm sure it's not like that in the city, but they're all closed on Friday. So you get all that business on Fridays. And then if you're doing well and you go to travel and have a three day week and take Friday off, then you only work three days that week. And that's, that's Mm -hmm. amazing too. So yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I had in college, like when I was taking my prereqs, haven't even decided my major yet, you'd set up your schedule and I would have always tried to set it up so that I had Wednesday off. And then I remember one semester, I couldn't make it work with the classes I needed to take because I had to take certain prereqs and I had Fridays off. I, I was like, I'm still doing, I'm still going to do four days. I want a three a day off. 
And I will agree with you. Yeah, we want that three day weekend, but there's something magical about having that midweek break and you just show up. It's like every day, your first day of the week is like a Thursday because you only go to work for two days and then you get a day off. And then it's, it's a nice flow and not many people, not many docs do it. Most of us are used to doing that off Friday thing. If you can recharge midweek and then come back Thursday and you're an animal, people are like, what the f- is going on here? And you yeah. know, you just always bring it. And so you have to take those days for yourself. You know, I used to, I would get off Tuesdays because man, you know how stressful it is running your own practice, learning dentistry. I would get off Tuesdays straight to my buddy, ping pong, whiskey, sushi. And then we would head home, go to sleep next day, golf, home at noon, ready to hang out with significant other. And you just cram in those micro recharges, whether it's, you know, that might not be your way to recharge, but cramming it in and then getting back at it on Thursday when you're in that crush mode. Yeah. I love it, man. So talk about now you're, you're down to two clinical days a week now, but talk about like, go back in time to that transition period where you're doing four days and you're making that first step to, I don't know if you went from four to two or four to three, but talk about kind of what were you feeling and what was the motivation behind that to make that switch to less clinical days? Yeah, I knew as a kid, I wanted, I couldn't work five days a week. I, I was I'm sensitive to people's energies and I would see adults blocked up and it didn't really make sense. I think it was 98, 99 office space came out the movie and I Dude, was probably 12, I was probably movie. 12 or 13. Like it, fuck tutors for your kids. If you want your kids to work hard in school, show them that movie. I mean, I was like, <laughs> there is no way I am ending up like that. And essentially my dad it w- was doing that. And he's like the strongest man in the world I know. And he was doing that and he still does it. He's still working. Mom's still a teacher and um, they're super strong people. And uh, you know, it has infected them as much as other people who are super blocked up. Anyways, I knew as a kid I was going to be a dentist because I knew they worked four days a week. Somebody told me that, and I was like, done. I'm good at school. This is where I'm going. And I liked people. So it was always a goal. And then it worked out conveniently. When we knew we were going to expand, I overloaded our seven ops. So I had three and at one point even four docs working out of four ops. So I had to cut back to two days a week to fit in these other docs. So I would literally work their days off. And so we were cramming in there, getting ready for the expansion, knowing we had bought the building. So it was a little uncomfortable there, but it was a sweet excuse to cut back down because I was making room for everybody. And the massive impetus was, and it was part of this whole plan, to be able to spend home time with my kids. We knew when we were 30, 31, we were going to go for the kid thing, and we ended up having twin boys. So when Mm -hmm. I was 31, cut back to 16 hours. Yeah, and I, I just, you know, two days at work, and then I get to spend five days with my kids. And, uh, you know, maybe one day in their recharge and it's, it, it was, it's been really special. Now, what do you do? Or actually, I want to roll back a little bit. You, you mentioned people being blocked up. What do you mean by that? Michael Sanger talks about this in the, the book you mentioned, uh, Living Untethered. Blockages are, um, I think of them as pathways and I'll go into that, but blockages are things that are just making us put our personal shit out there. So instead of being in the moment, instead of trying to bring that moment up, for everybody or everything around you. There are things that stop you from doing that. And this takes a lot of work to even see these things. Most people don't even know these things exist. And that's how he describes in the book, Living Untethered, which I highly recommend to people. And I was glad you recommended it to everyone. 
I think of them as pathways. People fall into these pathways, and these pathways are amazing, and we should be deeply grateful for these pathways, these pathways that we've developed through life. They're the same things that allow us to be superhuman, like sit down, do a filling while you're thinking about letting someone go, payroll, signing a prescription, and do all these things. They allow us to do these things, but these pathways also make us fall into these unhealthy behaviors, ways we treat people, ways we react without giving that moment space to fall into and really live in the moment. And so, again, these pathways, we let's say you're like a baby born. You're just in a giant field. And everything's just amazing. You're taking everything in. And then as you start to go through life, you start to add things to this field, whether it be bushes and, you know, you, eventually you're, you're, you become an adult. These things teach you how to walk. You're walking down them. You're learning how to talk to people. You're learning how to socially interact. These are all pathways. And eventually these these pathways you build up, they become very big. And if we're thinking of them as bushes, I'm a gardener. We're thinking of them as bushes and, you, you know, you've got a maze now. And these things are great. They help you just cruise through life. You're able to talk to people well. You're able to do dentistry without thinking about it as much, stressing as much. But pretty soon, these pathways overgrow, and we can't get outside of them. And we have to find ways, things we've just been talking about, taking time for ourselves. We have to find ways to reduce these pathways. There's tons of ways to do it. You know, everybody's talking about these days. It's really incredible to um, hear everybody addressing it. But we have to find ways to just stop being these reactive things that have built up inside of us, whether it's childhood trauma or anger or stuff like that. Yeah. I love that you share that because it, it reminds me of a book that I'm reading now, something of the, maybe the mind of Buddha or something like that. And it mentions darts and it says every kind of thing that happens, everything we experience, you know, we, we've got to try to reduce the second dart because the first dart is the reality of what, what, what we see. And then the second dart is the way that we interpret it and tell ourselves a story about what's happening. And that's what I hear what you're saying with the, with the blockages is that these previous traumas, previous experiences, they lead us to react to things in a certain way instead of just taking them as just being very or Buddhist and that it is what it is and just accepting it for the experience that it is and that we are the person that's watching that experience. But instead, we create these big stories around it and create us to get rather emotional and upset about things and sometimes, like mentioned, energy, give people bad energy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think the important thing is the space between those two darts. Your first dart is your reaction. Like let's just say kids, you know, mm-hmm. something bangs, you go to yell, you know, instead of just giving that a second, giving that one second to stop and realize what's happening first, instead of just that something that happens, you know, it's not even in the frontal lobe, you just explode. And just that time, the more time you can give yourself in between that first and second dart, the better reactions you're going to be, the better you're going to respond to people, the better relationships you're going to have. Yeah, true. And I'll share a story to listeners and you that we got a two-star review yesterday and it was because of somebody upset that we raised our cash hygiene visit price from $129 to $149. And long-term patient, I mean, we raised our fee by $20 for a cleaning. Big deal. But I saw it, it came in my email and I went and I responded to that right away. And I like kind of passive aggressively said, I hope you find some place where you can afford. And there was always like, there was like this subtext in what I was saying. I'm like, I'm trying to make it sound nice, but I'm trying to like give it to him a little bit. And I'm like, I should wait till tomorrow. I'm like, I'm, I'm upset about this. I'll wait till tomorrow. I'm like, no, this is fine. This is good. Woke up and uh, re-edited it this morning. <laughs> so totally, went, back, totally. went back and changed it. And I was like, I, I, I knew it yesterday. I knew I wasn't going to let that. It's like, part of me is like, no, this is good. I'm like, you, you sit on it. 
you get the emotion to go away and it's like a totally different experience. The older I get, the more I want to I wanna give it to those reviews, but I just continue to stop myself. I think when, I, when I'm 60 and like half seen, I'm just going to start ripping off some yeah. shit to these people. Yeah, like when, once you're in like your 60s, I think there's the gloves are off. You can just do yeah. whatever you want. But he's just, he's old. He doesn't give a shit anymore, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's go cool. fuck yourself, Diane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Talk about like when you're moving from to less clinical days, let's just kind of get into like a little bit of the mechanics about it. What do you think was like some of the hardest parts about making that transition? Well, the most important part is having a massive patient base or whatever that means to you, you know, knowing that they're going to, you're going to have the people there and also having the support. So I had other docs in the office. If you're running your own practice, I I can't imagine it's going to be easy to cut down to two days a week. You know, people are going to get pissed. So you got to have support there. You got to have your team behind you. You got to have a story and you got to have good energy behind it. What What I mean by that is, you know, you want to give something to your staff to tell them why you're cutting back. And one important thing I do at my office, side note, is I do give everybody the option to work four days a week. And uh, some choose it, some don't. That's up to them. But on top of that, you give them a story. And mine was, you know, I'm cutting back to spend time with my twins and raise my family. We'll see what that story will have to change to once the boys grow up. But um, it'll still continue to be the same thing. And then you got to have just these kind of just things to hand these smart ass patients who have their own hangups, who want to old men who want to give you shit for not working yeah. five days a week and Saturdays. All the time. Yeah, it's crazy. And <laughs> it's like, you know what? It's none of your f-ing business, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm spending time with my kids. And then, you know, they've got hangups about that. They didn't spend enough time with their kids and you'll hear some crazy uh, intrusive things from people. And you got to learn to just, you know, water off the duck's bag, not worry about it. Yeah, you know, you got to kind of have your story that you feed people or not, you know, if you're somebody who doesn't care, but you, you'll be amazed how much you'll get these uh, people. And then you've got the, the people out there who are comfortable with themselves, happy, and they're just so happy for you. They look mm-hmm. at you, they smile, and they're like, I'm so happy you're doing that. Like, good for you. And like, the, it's really, you start to see how many people out there are blocked up inside and how that comes out when you start working two days a week, because it's a, it's a big thing. There's a lot of forces in the world, when you, well, you say U.S. Was at least that want you to keep you working five days a week. And a lot of those mm-hmm. are in our head and made up and kind of conditioned. And a lot of those are, are real. Yeah, it's out there. Like my father-in-law, you know, he, he won't even acknowledge I work two days a week. He mm-hmm. still gives me shit for not working Saturdays. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, you got to have your story. You got to have your support. Yeah, that's, that's really it, man. Your story and your support and, and your drive. You got to know why you're cutting back. A lot of people, I'm not sure they could handle it. But for me, man, it's like every day I cut back, I refuse to cut down to one day a week because every day you cut back, you just feel so good. I mean, mm-hmm. your body hurts less. Two is perfect for me. I'm 36. My body doesn't hurt. But I was hurting bad doing four days a week, doing some really you know high efficiency dentistry. It hurts. So you got to be careful. Every day you cut back, you ain't going back. It's too good. And it, <laughs> it's and, true. And it, and it feels good to feel good, man. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I had the experience where I, I took four weeks off and it was because I took off two weeks for a hernia surgery, one week because we went on vacation. And then the following week when we came back from vacation, I ended up getting COVID. So I was off for a whole entire month. I ran out of stuff to do. And that was kind of a nice test for me. Like we always toy with this idea. And I think it's this dream for all of us to retire early, retire and and we don't really put much thought into what exactly does that mean to retire, to not have any responsibilities or not to get to go to things. And this was a nice experience for me because it was, it, I got to see, gosh, I kind of don't like this, all this available time. I want to be part of a team. I like going to the office. I like 
working with my team and seeing my patients and doing my dentistry. What are your thoughts? I mean, you're two days a week away from retirement, essentially. Do you think you could go down to one day or do you think that is the next step? Or like, how do you feel about the whole idea of just hanging it up? Well, at, at this point, I, I'm, in, I'm enjoying dentistry. Four days a week, I did not enjoy dentistry. In the very beginning, sure, you know, it, it was the challenge, but uh, I, I enjoy dentistry now that it's two days a week. I go in, I crush it, I'm hanging out with my team, we're jamming, I get to see everybody. And so I'm just going to work two days a week for the rest of my life till I'm 80. I mean, you know, always have income, always keep your brain in the game. Yeah, I, I don't, I, at this point, I don't, I don't see any end in sight, but I do think it's important Another reason to cut back and, you know, people can achieve this in retirement if they can't cut back, if they're in jobs they can't, is you should spend the second half of your life really, really looking at spiritual and creative pursuits and kind of changing gears, dialing it back, which is going to be one of the hardest things for a lot of people cutting back and what you're saying. But uh, it takes a lot of energy learning what you need to dial it back and then entering those creative spiritual pursuits later in life. I think it's really important for all humans. Ever since we started using Relevance Online Marketing, I could see a drastic improvement in our SEO. I mean, we are ranking so much higher when searching for dentists in our hometown. We are seeing more new patients and certainly someone you should give a, give a look at if you're considering new marketing companies. Just absolutely awesome. I would recommend Relevance to any practice owner who wants to see what proper marketing can do for their office. I want to thank Dr. Paul Etchinson for introducing me to Relevance Marketing. They've done a great job, very thorough. I'm happy with the results. Thank you guys for all of your help. We never truly realized how powerful this could be. It's really changed our business for the best. I think they're definitely worth every penny. Easy to communicate with, easily accessible, does what I ask, and even shows me some reports when things are going a little bit off track and what they're doing about it. You know, it's just a level of service I just haven't really received from other marketing agencies. Since we've been using Relevance, we've seen a tremendous growth in our business. I would recommend their services to just about anybody. Search engine optimization uh, and getting your ranking on Google to be the highest it can possibly be. The efforts uh, by Relevance and their team and the efforts and the things that they've done with the uh, the SEO as well as the social media. Highly recommend it. So what are you waiting for? This is Dr. Paul Etchison telling you to get a free consultation with Relevance. As a listener of the podcast, you get the first month free and there is zero obligation to continue if you aren't blown away. Make this the year you grow your practice to the next level. Go to relevanceonlinemarketing.com to set up a free consultation. That's relevanceonlinemarketing.com. So talk about being there just two clinical days a week. What does it look like for you doing admin or did you have to set up like a leadership structure at your office? Because just talk about how, do, how does the office work with you only being there two days a week? I think a lot of people are wondering that. Yeah. So our situation is very specific. I brought in to achieve this. I brought in, and I should have mentioned this earlier. I brought in two of my good buddies over the past five years. And last year they bought in 66%. So we're each a third totally mm-hmm. equal because I'm not, I, I don't know if you identify as a type A dude, but I think you are. I don't yeah, I'm not I a am. type A dude. Yeah. So I'm not, all, I'm not going to be all over it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm running the business five days a week, you know, in my phone, you know, why I'm doing stuff while I'm golfing, hanging out, you know, with the fam, there's still a million things to be done because I'm still the one who's tapped into all those, those things that need to be done. But what I did 
He's brought in two of my buddies who are now helping run the show. And they're finding their place because this transition just happened last year. So they're finding their place. They're picking up a lot of work. They're finding out what they like to do. Yeah, it, it's been a unique situation where I, I, they're picking up a lot of it as I'm starting to wind down on some of it. But forever and ever, you know, I'll be five days a week doing admin stuff. It's not all day. But it's mm-hmm. just being, being in the phone, returning emails and stuff like that. And, and you get systematized. I'm a droid guy, too. You just get that stuff to where it's easy. It ain't work. It's just, you know, knocking it out. Are these two guys that you brought on, are they also dentists? Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, I, we went to dental school together, two of my great buddies. One of them's uh, Nicholas Kazir and Dan Sharpstein. Dan went to the Army for seven years and came and worked for us. And I think Nick was with Heartland before he came and worked with me. It's, it's, been, it's been amazing. Did they come on as immediate partners or did they come work as associates before partnership? Associates. Okay. So, yeah. So you've got people that there's, there's always some ownership in the building at least. And that's, that sounds like that's probably super beneficial. One of the issues that I, I have is when I take a lot of time off, I feel like I need to come back in and, and I notice it and, and people tell me they, they're different when I'm there. It's a different feel when I'm there. One energy, but two, my my leads will tell me that people just work harder when I'm walking around in the hallways, which I wish that wasn't the case, and I don't know if that's something that's fixable, but that is the reality of it. But I think in your situation, having th- two partners and there's always somebody there, that's that's got to be a nice asset to have for the running of the practice. I don't think you could handle a partner either. Yeah, yeah I don't <laughs> think you. Uh. <laughs> I would, well, see, I do have a, I do have a partner, my associate button, but it was under the condition of that. Hey, like you're just, you're just equity, and uh, I'm gonna continue. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Because exactly. I, I, I was always a shitty employee. Like it's funny. Like I'll complain about some associate stuff, and I'm like, shit, I did that. I was, I was just never. Uh, yeah, I was a shitty employee. I, I just wanted yeah. to do things my way. It's just how it is. All right, dude. Uh, final question before we move into the the segments. What, in your opinion, and you mentioned like mindset stuff and talking to the team about the story of why you're working less. What do you think the biggest mechanical challenge was system-wise making that transition? So yeah, support again is the most important thing. I've got my, my two assistants there who totally have my back, know how I operate, my entire front desk who knows how I operate. So it would be a big deal, I think, if a doctor was there only two days a week and didn't have that sort of support. Because again, they know exactly how I like to operate. If my whole staff up and changed, I don't think I would be able, I, I would have to go up a day for sure just to be in the office more. Yeah, it definitely helps to have it. Like, I always wonder, people ask me about my leads and like, how do they know? Like, I'm like, well, because they've been working with me a very long time. They know exactly how I yeah, do things. It's huge. You couldn't just have somebody walk in and like, you could never, I think it would be extremely difficult to acquire a practice and just show up two days a week. You got to create the systems, create the culture first. And you can't put that synergy on paper. You can put a lot of stuff on paper, but to know for your staff to know exactly how you would approach, like let's say a write-off or something like that, you know, they don't have the confidence to write off money unless they know, you know, Dr. Rigsby, Dr. Etch would write this off, or just one of a million examples. Yeah, totally, man. All right, let's move on to the segment where we share little systems that add up to big results. Dr. Rigsby, what is your little system? So yeah, we're bad on, I'm bad on systems. My partner, Dr. Sharpstein is stepping it up. But for me, it was, again, the, the setting, the setting in our operatories, putting in the picture windows, 
bird feeder, planted a bunch of citrus out back. We've got tangerine, lemons, lime tree, pomegranates outside every window. So it really takes the focus from the patient off dentistry to what is out that window. Some beautiful birds in front of them, beautiful setting, that Florida sun, throw in some music and it really pays off. See, and I like that because the patient will explain to people, they'll go tell people about your office and how you have such a great experience. But they might mention it explicitly, but they're not going to say, well, they got these birds and they got these bushes and they got they got, you know, these nice things planted in this garden here and the sunshine comes through the window and just everything. Oh, they will. If you, you know, Google reviews, how it'll have the the words that yes. you can click on birds and music is like, there's like 15 <laughs> of each of them. Well, yeah. Well, see, that's, that's awesome. Cause I mean, that shows these little things that we think is so separate from d- providing dental care is such an important part of the patient experience. And those little details, I think, make a big difference. That's why I'm glad that you brought them up. All right, I'd like to move on to the segment where we celebrate that all of us are human and none of us is perfect. Dr. Rigsby, let's get real. Everybody get down. It's about to get real in here. What is the biggest struggle at your practice right now, and what are you doing about it? Yeah, so along with doubling in size, we doubled with staff. And in the last six months, we've got four babies come into our practice, which is an amazing amazing thing. But not only juggling the new size of this staff and their schedules, but juggling who's coming in, who's coming out. And basically what I'm doing is just making sure I stay in communication with, you know, every one of them. We don't, we don't rush them back to work after they have their babies. And so just staying in tight communication and just staying on top of it. But that's been our biggest struggle, just making sure I'm in communication with everyone. Yeah, and I remember when we expanded, the biggest thing for us was taking on a, a bunch of additional team. And then probably six months to a year into it, realizing that a lot of these new people didn't, I mean, they didn't grow with the practice. So like they didn't understand the culture. And like you mentioned, how to handle a write-off. What kind of things do we write off? And we had to go back and really take some time to do some training to try to get everybody recalibrated. Whereas I thought taking on this many people is once they just kind of assimilate into our systems. But it, that wasn't the case. Oh, when I said babies, I meant people having babies. Yeah, like, I know what you meant. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's it's when someone tells me like, "Oh, I'm pregnant." I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so happy for you." And they're like, "I'm sorry." I'm like, "No, it's it's I'm not upset. I'm like, I'm totally happy for you." Like, but it's like there's there's that part of me that's just like, "Oh, what is this good timing?" Yeah, what I'm just thinking. Do? I'm just thinking. Yeah, I, that's, why, yeah. that's why it's not a real smile. I'm sorry. <laughs> right, right, right. All right, if you go back in time to the beginning of your career, what do you wish you could tell yourself? Don't unfire crying women when you are firing them because I was 27 years old firing my first person and she started crying and I was like oh yeah of course you know of course you're gonna stay this is gonna ruin your life like you're telling me and I was like yeah and then I walked back in there and my mentor goes Rigsby go back in there and fire her and I was like I can't I can't and so you know three weeks later I had to fire her again because yeah it was the same stuff just really bad behavior yeah and then I did it again but you know this. this second, oh no! You, yeah, the second time. Oh, you was, fired it again. Okay. No, no. Then the second time, no, it was a different person. It was an older lady, oh. and she was having she oh. was having some legitimate problems at home. So we kept her on for two weeks until she could find another job. But you know, that's just keeping everybody happy. It's what we do, man. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. I, I don't know if I've ever heard of anyone doing that. But yeah. you're a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm just a nice guy, I guess. <laughs> it's hard, man. But I, I've had my, my, our last two fire, actually, no, our last one fire, my office manager did it, but two ones ago, I was in on it too. But I, my favorite one was my office manager sat her down. And then midway through, I just walked in and I said, 
we refer to this girl as Jean Schwartz. I can't remember what her name was, but we just call her Jean Schwartz because she interviewed in Jean Schwartz, and we gave her the benefit <laughs> of doubt that that maybe she was in a hurry, and at least she showed up. Yeah. And uh, I just walked in, and I don't even remember her name. I was, hey, Jean Schwartz. Uh, I'll just say it was Amy. I'm like, hey, Amy, like, uh, it's not working out here. Today's your last day. I'm so sorry. I wish you the best. I hope everything works out for you. And then I walked out, and then and then like the tears started coming, and then my office manager kind of dealt with that, and. She yeah. she was okay with that trans <laughs> trans and I asked her after I said I said was that okay how I did it she's like it was totally fine she's like I didn't mind sitting there with her while she was crying because like that's that's the thing is like it's hard to it's it's just hard it's because we care about people that's exactly. what, ultimately is like exactly. I don't want to be causing anyone pain and hardship you know just sometimes it's just things aren't working out so got got to do what you got to do but that's a great story man I love it all right share a story where you learned a valuable business lesson from an experience or the hard way it sounds like you already shared one but share another one. Yeah, well, more business, more along the lines of business, doing the, the build out, learned a lot of lessons. But we, we use an interior designer to do the waiting room and, and the front desk, which I think is a, a great idea because I, I don't know any mm-hmm. of that stuff. And contractors don't either. You know, they'll make it look like a hospital and you won't be happy when that happens. But I, I wish, and I love my interior designer, but I wish I would have had a more idea of when the bills were going to stop because they just keep coming and coming and coming because they bill hourly. So with that, I would just set up something like, hey, we got to cap this at like, Something because my partners are involved. I found this interior designer and the bills just keep coming and coming and coming and big old bills. If you use good interior designers and they do a great job, it is a science. They work, they work magic, but cap that somewhere. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I totally agree with you. We use an interior designer for like my home and also for the practice when we did the expansion. And what's cool about it is that I would have never picked a lot of these finishes myself, but I love how they look. I would have been in my own, like just what I'm used to and stuff, like some wallpaper we picked out. I'm like, I would have never picked that, but it looks freaking great. And then when you, when you actually like talk to them about how they work, it's like everything's paired together. Well, this ties in this over here. This ties in this over here. And you're just like, gosh, like it's, that's what it is. It's like everything kind of goes together. It's like it belongs and it's, it's really a gift and it's an art. And, um, I couldn't agree more. I think there's so much value to be had. And, and like we mentioned, the patient experience, I have people come to my office and they just sit in their chair. First time in the chair, they're like, oh my gosh, this place is so awesome. Their only experience has been with the phone call, with walking in my waiting room, and now they're in the chair. They haven't even spent that much time there, but it's just that, that wow factor when they walk into our waiting room. And I can't tell you, there's not like thousands and thousands of dollars worth of finishes in our waiting room. It's nothing really special, but it just ties together the artwork and just everything goes. So I agree with you. You got to, people should use that and it, and even redo their practices. I think this matters and it's, it's, it's time. It's well spent money is what I'm saying. Absolutely. I totally agree. All right. Let's move on to the dental practice hero. Sexy six, six sexy questions. What is your favorite quote and what does it mean to you? Alan Watts. He said, the meaning of life is just to be alive. It is so plain and so obvious and so simple. And yet everybody rushes around in a great panic as if it were necessary to achieve something beyond themselves. Yeah. That, that one, when I read that one, I was just like, yeah, that sounds like the world, man. Everybody thinking they're special. And, you know, again, it's just about finding that, that present moment, elevating it as much as you can. Not just for you and for you, but for the people around you or whatever is around you, just, you know, elevating that moment. And that's just being in the present. There's nothing else to life. I mean, there's ways to hack it and make yourself feel good, like accomplishment and, you know, things like that. But other than love and love is the gift of attention. I think Alan Watts said that as well. It's just being in the present, man. 
Yeah, and I like the one thing I realized over my career is that happiness and fulfillment, I chased success thinking it would bring that. Chased time off thinking it would bring that. But then now that I feel very fulfilled, I realize I had everything I needed the whole entire time. It was all mental. It's a great quote. It's good you had that the whole time, man. That's good. What are you reading right now? I'm reading two things. Uh, Breathe by James Nestor. It's a good book on. That's what I'm reading. Yeah, I, well, you recommended. I told you it. to you read. Told, it. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm rereading uh, Carl Sagan's The Demon Haunted World. I'm always awesome. I'm always using re- rereading some by Carl Sagan or or Hitchens or guys like that that just kind of dial my values back in. It's cool. Very cool. I recommend a single book that all dentists should read. Yeah, so I'm huge on fiction as gaining perspective. So I know you people do business ones on this one, but if you're if you're dental school ready to crush, or just out, Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. If you if you're out and you're kind of cruising, you're a dentist. Any short stories or books by Faulkner, Hemingway, or uh, Ray Bradbury, all just stuff that give you great perspective. And I, I would say 50% of my intentional perspective has has been gained by reading fiction. It's really important to me. That's really cool. Awesome. All right, recommend a seminar or continuing education. Garg's implant course. Arun Garg, he's awesome. I took him in dental school. It's a trip. He's a trip. He's a no bullshit. His introductory course, which is a few weekends, keeps you down to what he calls green light cases. Really beneficial. Just keeps you out of the weeds and teaches you how to put implants in. Did you ever do the the overseas one or at Dominican? I had it booked with my best friend who I hadn't seen since dental school. And then I realized my passport was expired. Oh, the night, the night before and missed the entire oh. course. <laughs> Just like you, <laughs> except I'm type B. So I have an excuse. You're type A missing your passport. Um, but no, I, know. I haven't made it up yet. I'm planning on it. They're nice there. They'll, they'll, they'll let me back in again, but Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just in case the listeners haven't heard that story, my passport was active. Our kids expire every five years. I assumed that they expired every ten, like mine did, but I was wrong. <laughs> Live and learn. Can't get past that. <laughs> but then we had a great trip in Miami, so we, we made it work, and we're going to the Bahamas in March. So we're we're going to go back and do that. But that that stinks, man. It's it was a fun time going out there in the Dominican and doing yeah. that. And uh, I'm excited. And Garg's a great time. Yeah, yeah Garg's a great time, and. And then he, he's got his team, and I think he's got a team of people there that he pays just to make sure everybody has fun. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's amazing. It's a great experience. Yeah. It's, it's so not yeah. stuffy, and I've never done any CE since. It's the only CE I've ever done. Really? How about that? Yeah, because I don't, I don't want to go sit in a stuffy room and, and be bored, yeah. man. Guard, yeah. guard I, I don't like, blame you. I was like, nobody's going to touch this guy. He's awesome. <laughs> That's great. All right, please share an analogy that you use to communicate an idea to a patient. When I'm trying to talk someone and motivate them into keeping their teeth and, you know, or they tell me they want to go to dentures, I just tell them to imagine eating their last meal like they're slapping two plastic blocks together as, as dentures, you know, explaining what that is and really telling them how their teeth are anchored in their head and, and then imagining slapping two plastic blocks together. Yeah, I, I hate the whole idea that people are like, I just got to get rid of these things. I can't wait to get dentures. It's like, no, it's not like a new set of teeth you don't have to take care of. No. It sucks. All right, if you had three pieces of advice for a new dentist or soon-to-be graduate, what would they be? Music would be the first one. If not for your benefit, for your assistant's benefit, or the patient's benefit, if I hear dentistry going on in absolute silence, I just it sounds like torture and it's like a psychopath in there. So, you know, if you don't have your building rigged up for it, um, do what I do. Have a, a dedicated pad that links up to a Bluetooth speaker and carry it from room to room. 
you know, then you've got an intro music every time you're walking into the room. And if you need to turn it off real quick to talk to a patient, and if you don't know what sort of music to listen to, if you're not a music person, just put on Van Morrison radio on Spotify or something like that. You know, I'm usually blasting funk and, you know, got all kinds of music. And, you know, you, you'll have crazy patient experiences with patients who will tell their friends just because of the music you're playing. And sometimes you'll get a, a crazy person there who will put on, you know, let you put on some DMX or Ramstein. And you have just like one of the coolest experiences of your life doing dentistry to amazing music. So, yeah, music. The second one, learn to recharge. You know, whether it's middle of the week, whether it's for 20 minutes, whatever it is, there's so much info out there. So many podcasts now about how to recharge, learn what does it for you. Physical exercise is the most important, I would say to me. And I'm not an exercise nut, but just getting that heart rate up. I call it burning the chi off. Hot yoga is very important for me. Music. I love drinking as a recharge at the end of the day. You come home, you're just dragging all your blockages home from work. And you know what? You can just have a, a bourbon and then you're dancing and singing with your family again. And uh, that might not work for everybody. You know, you know, you know, by this time, if you have a problem with alcohol, but um, yeah, just lot, lots of options out there, but recharge. Third thing is um, stay humble. If you're just out of dental school and you won't walk out of your office until your assistant come, comes and gets you like a butler, or if you won't reset a room, or if your assistant's, you know, doing a, a, a temporary crown and you won't get a patient from the waiting room because you think you're too good to go do that and keep things moving, then you're not going to be a millionaire by 35. I mean, you're not going to be highly successful. There's other ways, but my suggestion is to stay humble, you know, and keep moving. And it just helps in so many ways. Awesome, man. Well, dude, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for all the value provided. I just love your energy. And like, I I feel like you are at, you love where you're at. You love your space. And you're just at a really good spot in your life. And I, I think it's a great example to the listeners what's possible. And just to kind of have some people thinking about, like, what is this all about? What are we really doing this for? Why am I grinding so hard? Because as you've noticed, it's not all about the grind. It's about being where your feet are. So thanks so much for being on the podcast, Jordan. I'd love to do it again sometime, maybe in a year or something. Yeah, thanks a lot, Paul. You have a great day, man. <laughs>